Hakeem Hicks signs with the Buccaneers, Stephon Tua retires, and Frank Gore retires. All that and more on today's episode of Locked on NFL. You are Locked on NFL. Your daily NFL podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome into another episode of the Locked On NFL Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's Monday, so that means you have me, Kevin Ostriker, the host of Locked On Ravens. And of course, thank you for making Locked On NFL your first listen today. I greatly appreciate that. We're free and available on all platforms, including in video form on YouTube. And today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts, and we're back here on a Monday edition. A ton of news to recap from last week. It was it was retirement galore across the league. It felt like it felt like so many players retired. We're going to be talking with Chris Carter of Locked On Steelers in the second segment about Stephon Tuit and Brian Peacock of Locked On 49ers in the final segment about Frank Gore. But in the first time, we're going to talk with David Harrison of Locked On Bucks about the signing of Akeem Hicks. Let's dive into that now with David Harrison of Locked On Bucks. Joining me now, one of the hosts of Locked On Bucks and David Harrison. And David, the, the Bucks love staying in the news over the course of these last couple of weeks, couple months here. The latest piece of news for them signing defensive lineman Akeem Hicks, one of the best free agents left on the free agent market. How are you doing here today? Oh, I'm doing good, Kevin. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, for sure. And this is a big signing, in my opinion, for the Bucks. They're getting a really solid player here, 32 years old. A one-year deal that maxes out around $10 million, I believe one year, $8 million. How is this value to you here based off what the player you're getting here in Tampa Bay with Hicks is? I mean, you know, it's it's it was imperative for the Buccaneers to really kind of get that third guy on the, on the, on the defensive line. And, and I say third guy, but we kind of just it's kind of an earmark, right? Because the, the big question here really is Logan Hall and, and their second round draft pick. The first pick that they actually made in the draft after uh, trading out of the 27th overall pick with the Jacksonville Jaguars to start off day two. And it's it's how how quickly is Logan Hall going to be ready? Right. And that's that's kind of uh, the big question here during the offseason, during the, the NFL scouting combine. Jason Light kind of talked about how important it was for the Buccaneers to get better, generating some sort of pass rush with the front three. We all know who Vita Vea is. William Golston is underrated, uh, you know, locally, but he's still, you know, not to the point where we think he should be a national, you know, nationally known guy. Just he should probably get more credit than he already does. And in Dominican Sue, even, you know, for as effective as he was here and there, not the most dominant pass rusher from, from a down lineman perspective. So bringing in Logan Hall, he's a little bit more athletic, obviously younger, a little bit faster, more of the athletic type of new wave of defensive lineman that we're seeing. So you obviously hope to get pass rush production out of that point. But in the meantime, bringing in a guy like Akeem Hicks helps them keep kind of the status quo up front while they get Logan Hall acclimated and then find out just how much he can really impact the defensive line in the season. Right. And you kind of read my mind there because I did want to ask just what the Bucs are getting here in yeah. Akeem Hicks and what he brings to this defense, how he can play off of some of those guys like Vita Vea and, and the rest of that defensive unit. Yeah, I mean he's a space eater. He's he's going to be a fighter. You know what I mean. The Buccaneers had the best pass or the best run defense uh, last year, and they want to kind of help keep their one of the best run defenses last year. And they want to kind of keep that uh, intact. Again, you know, as you're trying to improve the the pass rush with your defensive line, you want to keep at least where your strengths were. You want to keep those strong as you try to build 
uh, other areas. And I think that's what you expect from Akeem Hicks, just be in there, maybe be a space eater, a block eater, uh, maybe kind of help almost kind of set the edge a little bit uh, from that 3-4 base defense so that guys like Shaquille Barrett, Joe Tryon, Shoinka, I have a little bit of opportunity to get around them. And honestly, this also will will give the Buccaneers a little bit of scheme versatility. You might see Vita Vea and Akeem Hicks in the middle, a little bit kind of come in with a four down lineman front with William Golson and Logan Hall on either side. And then maybe go down to one linebacker, whether it be Devin White or Levante with Shaq and Joe Tryon Schwenka still on the field. So gives them a little bit of scheme versatility and Todd Bowles moving to the head coach. He's still going to man the defense. He's still going to run that defense. And we know he loves getting creative and mixing it up as much as possible. Right. And I think, David, at this point in the offseason, a lot of the things that people talk about is how can teams fill the rest of their needs? And did you feel like this was the biggest one left for the Buccaneers as they kind of head here in the training camp, the preseason, the regular season? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, losing Jordan Whitehead on the back end of the secondary uh, was huge, but they kind of did that with a combination of of guys. And, and they've got some young talent, some veterans. They'll try to mix and match some pieces uh, in there. The linebacker group is pretty solid and they're pretty confident in K.J. Britt. Uh, draft pick last year out of Auburn to step up in kind of that third off-ball linebacker role uh, behind David and White. So really that defensive line. I mean, tight end Rob Gronkowski obviously is a huge piece, but if you have to roll forward with Cam Brates, you feel you feel okay. Like on a, on a 10 scale of being perfect and Gronk is back, you probably feel about a six and a half, seven, which isn't terrible. But on the defensive line, without Indomit and Sue, and if Logan Ryan is forced into everyday starting uh, caliber uh, uh, play or Raheem Nunez Rochez, who really is kind of an undersized nose tackle. If you're forced to put him on the end there, you kind of, you're kind of at about a four and a half, five really. So, I mean, you really had to prioritize uh, plugging out that defensive line. And now with that unit set, I mean, Will Golston beat Avea uh, and, and Akeem Hicks and then Logan Ryan mixed in there with them. I mean, I don't know that, you know, the Saints have a pretty formal defensive front, but I think that it's at least very competitive. Right. And, so for Tampa Bay, what's next, David? You mentioned Rob Gronkowski. Is there any other move you feel like they should make besides that, or do you feel like really the Buccaneers should start to hone in on, hey, maybe bringing Gronkowski back now? Yeah, I think it's Gronk and then getting healthy. I mean, honestly, you know, I feel very good about where they are right now. There's still talk out there about Julio Jones uh, maybe coming in. And, you know, uh, on, the, on the surface, I don't really necessarily, you know, support that that theology. There's There are some thoughts here. Uh, that Chris Godwin, there was a Buccaneers player who actually uh, went on record, Cyril Grayson, more of a depth receiver return guy. Uh, but he kind of went on record and said, you know, people are going to be surprised with how fast Chris Godwin actually returned. So, you know, it's not an official team statement, but it's a guy who's who's uh, in the building and at least close into what's going on with Godwin. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean week one, but maybe the first quarter of the season we see Chris Godwin back on the field. Uh, and that would be great. In the meantime, Russell Gage, who came over from Atlanta, is expected to fill a big role. Uh, but he's been he's been battling some some issues as well. So it'll be. Uh, it has to be seen, is, is it a real injury issue or maybe is this some conditioning things or just kind of a fluke uh, deal? The team's stance on it right now is it won't impact training camp. As long as that happens, you feel comfortable with Mike Evans, Russell Gage, Scotty Miller uh, is returning to form after two really uh, kind of injury struggle, you know, late in years uh, that he's been facing. Then Tyler Johnson, you assume, is going to come in uh, and take another step in his next year in the NFL. So I feel good with where they're at if Russell Gage is is struggling health wise if Chris Godwin maybe isn't as far along as Cyril Grayson would have us believe that maybe bringing in a guy like Julio just even if for if anything for name recognition forcing the defense uh to at least respect the potential there could happen but again I feel pretty good with where they are just bring back Gronk uh, and then get ready for training camp yeah, it's, it's a good two-step plan one Gronk two health I think that that would work <laughs> out pretty well for them for sure yeah. but David a, another big part in this is the I guess status of Nadamba Kinsu because he's been mm -hmm. there for three years and with bringing in Akeem Hicks 
it feels like his time in Tampa Bay could be up. Do you, do you agree with that? Or you, is there still a chance in your mind that Sue could come back? I mean, never say never, but I don't, I don't see it happening. I think that I don't think the team signs Akeem Hicks. If, if things with the Dominican Sue are going well and, uh, you know, we, we were talking before we hit recording. You look at the Akeem Hicks uh, contract, Greg Allman of The Athletic, you know, reporting that out of that $8 million or so that Akeem Hicks is going to end up getting out of this contract, only 2.39 of it actually counts towards this year's cap. Uh, could be increased 700000 you know, with some some gameplay uh, incentives and all that. But even still, you're looking at less than $3 million total against the cap. And Dominican Sue, the last two years, he's played a $9 million or more uh, against the cap. And you figure he probably wanted similar type money, if not, uh, exactly at the nine million dollar mark, which I don't blame him for, uh, but I also don't blame the Buccaneers for not necessarily being willing uh, to kind of jump that high. So I don't think this means I don't think Adamkin Sue comes back on this. I think it'd be really hard. You bring Sue in now. You've got a, now you've got almost a problem. I mean, it's a good problem to have, right? But too many talented defensive linemen uh, to really get on the field and, and get snaps for while you're trying to develop uh, Logan Hall behind them. And unfortunately for Bucks fans and for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers themselves, it looks like the New Orleans Saints are going to be a really uh, or uh, could be a, a possible landing spot for Sue. Again, the money is going to be uh, a big factor there as well, but could have a guy who's been with you now for three years helping to kind of develop the Todd Bowles defense in Tampa now playing for the other side. Yeah, and with Hicks, David, what, what's his role going to be in terms of snaps? Is this a player who you think is going to be playing 75%? Is this more of a two-down player at this point for yeah. Tampa Bay based off of their depth? Where do you feel like he fits in in terms of snap counts? It's hard to say right now because I think, again, a lot of that depends on Logan Hall's development. And if Logan Hall could kind of accelerate a little bit and kind of get up to speed quicker, I think that in, in pass rush sets, especially, you know, third and longs uh, and all that, I think you're going to go obviously faster. So I think Will Vita Vea and Logan Hall as your down lineman and then uh, a combination of pass rushers behind them or, again, even Logan Hall uh, standing up. And maybe, you know, we've, we've seen Vita Vea be the only down lineman uh, on the defensive side of things for the Buccaneers before. So you can see that as well. It's hard to guess. I would probably estimate 60 to 65%. He's a little bit older. He has had a little bit of injury. You know, you can't play this long in the NFL without having some injury history. Uh, so I think they want to keep him fresh and kind of avoid some of those big issues. So I think 60, 65% is probably a good ballpark to start with. Yeah, for sure. If Tampa can keep him fresh, get him in situations that cater to his skill set the best while not overusing him, I think that's the best role for him. And I think Tampa yeah. Bay certainly can do that with the rest of the depth that they have there. But David, this was a great signing, in my opinion, for Tampa Bay. Yeah. Thanks for hopping on here with me. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate it. I really like the Akeem Hicks signing for Tampa. He was one of the better free agents remaining on the market. He slots in there on the defensive line, one of the bigger needs for the Buccaneers before the signing. And even if that does mean Ndamuk and Sue is on the way out, I think that represents an upgrade and Hicks gives them some pass rushing presence there for sure. But what into our first break here on Locked on NFL. Still a ton to talk about. When we get back, we'll be diving into the retirement of Stefan Tuitt with Chris Carter of Locked on Steelers. So be sure to stay tuned for that. We will be back here soon, but don't go anywhere. Still a ton to talk about. First, though, I do want to tell you a bit about Blue Nile. And so whether you're ready to pop the question or if you're celebrating a milestone moment, you can find jewelry as unique as her with the modern convenience of online shopping at BlueNile.com. And they have simple online tools. They help you choose the diamond shape, size, and clarity as well as setting style. Blue Nile's bench jewelers will then handcraft her perfect engagement ring. And each ring is one of a kind. So if you're looking for fine jewelry, but if you're having trouble choosing, a Blue Nile has jewelry experts on hand 24-7. They're available via phone or even chat to help you find a memorable gift at every budget. So make your moment sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com and Locked On Sports. Let's just get $50 off of purchases of $500 or more. This podcast exclusively includes engagement. You can use code Locked On. That's code Locked On plus every order is insured. Ships free and arrives in discreet packaging. So that won't give away what's inside you can shop stress-free and find your forever piece go to bluenile.com today 
And I also want to tell you here a bit about Rock Auto. And with the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure from pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning? You have to wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts in their computer, and you have to choose the only brand the warehouse happens to carry. When well, I have computers, access to rockauto.com, both at home and in your pocket. And you can save time and money when using Rock Auto and their family business. They've been serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Their price is super, super low. You can go explore their easy-to-use website today and find the solution to your auto parts needs, no matter what they are. So go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on. They had you hear about us. Fox know we sent you amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts of car will ever need. RockAuto.com. We're back here. Our second segment of Locked On NFL. Kevin Ostriker, your host, still here with you. And again, thank you for making Locked On NFL your first listener today. And be sure to check out our listener surveys. You will have the chance to win one of 10 $100 Ticketmaster gift cards. So to take the survey to help us out, go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey. Thanks for your help. It really does help out a ton. But now here in the second part of the show, we're going to be diving into the retirement of Stefan Tuitt, a bright young player in this league. We're going to dive into that with Chris Carter of Locked On Steelers here now. Continuing here now, joining me is Chris Carter, the host of Locked On Steelers. And I mean, Chris, there were so many retirements in the NFL over this past week, one of those being Stefan Tuitt. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. I had a little vacation. Well, it wasn't much of a vacation. I went to my cousin's graduation, uh, so that was that that was nice. But I'm ba- I'm glad to be back talking Steelers. Got a lot of stuff going on in the Locked On Steelers podcast. Always glad to talk to you, Kevin. Though, yeah, absolutely. And congrats to your cousin too. That's a big milestone for Thank sure. You. But Stefan Tuitt, marking the end of his NFL career here, retiring. Obviously, Tuitt didn't play in 2021, Chris. But when he was on the field, made an impact. And over the course of his career, his numbers went beyond the box score. I mean, you have a guy here who in 2020, his last played season, 11 Mm -hmm. sacks, somebody who would just absolutely wreck people with the line of scrimmage and now retiring at the age of 29. So usually we see players retiring a little, little older than that, but we started to see a little bit of a trend now where players are retiring a bit earlier. What went into this decision for Tuit in his retirement here? Uh, The the truth is that it was a tragedy. Um, His brother was killed in a hit and run um, in the off season leading up to the 2021 season. And uh, it was truly tragic. They were trying to find answers as to what happened and how it happened. Um, but it, it was a big blow to his family. And then um, supposedly he had a knee injury that he needed to get surgery on. And the, you know, dealing with the loss of his brother um, was such a big blow and it, t- it kind of messed up the timeline for his recovery. And Tuit is a guy that suffered multiple injuries throughout his career. Um, I-, I think it was the combination of the work he would have had to do to get back to where he was as a player when he was last healthy, plus dealing with what he dealt with, you know, get, you know, dealing with the trauma of losing your brother like that. That was, a, that's, a, that was a lot, that's a lot for anybody. And uh, Stefan Tuit. Uh, and the, the team respected it. That's why they kept him on the roster all throughout the 2021 season. And a lot of fans were like, why is why is he taking up so much money? Because he was one of the more expensive Steelers. In fact, this year, I think he was the third most expensive Steeler on the on the roster before before he retired. Um, but the Steelers respected him. They respected his time. Uh, during that time, Stephon too was able to go finish his degree at Notre Dame. And basically this decision came about. He's like, hey, you know what? I've decided. I've done what I need to do in football. I'm going to get on with my life's work. As the Steelers often say, that's their phrase of when a player is uh, ready to move on with their life or even a coach. Um, but 
you know, I, th- I think it's just one of those sad things. It's like, man, like, you know, you hope that Stefan Tuitt has found peace with, you know, his family and dealing with that situation. I like guess you never really find peace, but you hope that you can, you know, come to terms with it and try to find ways to move forward with your life in a better way. So that's really what this truly stems from was that, um, you know, there might've been some injury concerns there as well, but there's no mistaking Stefan to its impact on the Steelers. And it's just really unfortunate when you saw the trajectory this guy was on, you know, this was a guy that for years Steelers fans loved him. He took on double teams. He, he did whatever he had to do. He was a hard worker and the Steelers and the Steelers organization like respected him so much because of what he did, but he didn't put up those gaudy numbers until like you said, his last season in 2020 with 11 sacks. But part of that, when I was t- when I was pointing out to people, that was the same trajectory Cam Hayward went on a long time before he became a two-time All Proer, several Pro Bowl guy. Um, Cam Hayward, when he, he didn't get his first double-digit season, double double-digit sack season until he was 28 years old. To it was 27 in 20 in 2020 when he got 11 sacks. The 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 unfortunate part for the Steelers is, as an organization when it comes to the personnel standpoint of this is they were about to have maybe the two of the most disruptive interior defensive line forces lining up to each other in next to each other in their prime while also having Alex Highsmith and TJ Watt on the, on, on the outside that they with two, if two, it was able to get back to where he was, they had a potential potential to have the greatest front four in football with that. But without him, it opens up a big hole. And now major questions for Mike Tomlin, uh, new defensive coordinator, Terrell Austin and Carl Dunbar, the defensive line coach to figure out. Yeah, and look, I 100% respect Stephon Tua's decision here to mm-hmm. retire, to hang it up and focus on his life away from football. Obviously, that yeah. tragic event was just something that's horrible, horrendous, and anybody who goes through that is just, you know, I completely understand the decision that he made here. But Chris, what are you going to remember about Stephon Tua, both on and off the field here, and what he brought to this team for all the years he was in Pittsburgh? I mean, personally, I remember him as a player, you know, as a guy that interviewed him several times, he was always easy to talk to. He was always super nice. Um, he could be goofy at times. He was a funny guy. The, the Stefan too, is a very smart man. You know, people look at these big, huge people and how they maul people over. But this was a guy that you talked to him. Like he had all these opinions on different things. He read a lot. He studied a lot. He, the guy, he didn't just go to Notre Dame. He studied at Notre Dame. He graduated, went to act to graduate from there. But um, Stefan Tuit, I, I think, is a is an incredible individual. And, uh, you know, for the Steelers, you know, I think it's just sad you didn't get to see him play a full career to see him continue to grow. Because if you would imagine if you had stopped Kim Hayward's here career at 27 years old over the past several years he has blossomed into the team leader the face of the Steelers and a guy that everyone know, knows and loves across the NFL Mina Kimes who always attacks the Steelers but she loves Cam Hayward because she respects how he how he take, takes on the game and how he is as a person Stephon Tewitt and him were extremely close so if, if you if you're someone who's close to Cam Hayward that's a, that, that should be a sign to anybody that doesn't know anything about Stefan to it. Like that's the kind of character that he was, that those two guys were very close to each other. Um, so it's, it's a shame that we don't get to see him around the facility more, but again, blessings to him and his family to, um, to move forward with their lives, find positive things and find live fulfilling, fulfilling lives as the, as, as they, as they move forward. So, um, you know, those are the things I remember though. Good, good person, very tough player. Just, I thought he was right on the cusp of being a great player. 
Yeah, he, he was a he was a player who I know when you're looking at lining up against him, especially in that AFC North two times a season, you're thinking, man, we got to do this again. <laughs> so he's a player that was respected all around the league, it feels like, and it's a person, just a, a wonderful person as well. And obviously that person's not going anywhere. He, he's going to do a lot of great things off the football mm-hmm. field, away from football. But Chris, the Steelers will move forward here. And you mentioned those questions that have now popped up in the absence of to it. What does this defensive line group look like now and how could they address this? Is this something that the answers are already on the roster or could you see them going out and trying to sign somebody here? So I truly think that they might consider signing someone for now, but I truly think the way the Steelers handle this is they take the guys that are on their roster now into training camp. And if so, if it doesn't work, if they feel like they need to add, what they'll do is they'll wait to see if another team kind of has to let go a player because they're too expensive or it's just not working out and then see if that's open or they'll be open to trading to get another defense interior defensive lineman. One thing to be sure, let's looking at the people who could replace him. The first person who will be in line is Chris Wormley, former Raven uh, interior defensive lineman who. He's more of a pass rusher. He had seven sacks last season filling in for Stephon Tewitt and Tyson Alulu. And that's the other part of this is that Tyson Alulu being back, if he can stay healthy for the whole season, he's at least one good player on the defensive line to line up with Cam Hayward. But they want they, the Steelers want their three to complete their three, four, and even want some depth there as well. The Marvin Leal is a guy who played 66% of the time last year in college, either over the offensive tackle or outside of the offensive tackle. So he's been more of a, you know, a, a, more of the five technique type of guy that's outside rather than in insect in, inside. So I, I look at this and this is a major question for the Steelers. Do they think that Chris Wormley who, you know, did play with some injuries last year. Can he be better against the run? If he is, they have their answer for now. They'll work, they'll develop Leal and they'll, and they'll, and they'll go from there and see what happens. But if they feel like, Hey, Wormley's still a good pass rusher, but not the, the run stuffer you need, because one thing that Stephon to did, even when he wasn't sacking the quarterback, he ate double teams for lunch. I mean, he'd be team teams would try to chip off him and get to the linebacker. And he would say, Nope, you're both sticking right with me. And I'm letting Devin Bush or whoever's behind me make the play. And that was a big part of what the Steelers had for so long that they were lacking in 2021 when they had the worst rushing defense of feet in the NFL. They haven't they hadn't had to suffer since 1941. So that's what that says a lot about what Stefan Dewitt did. Now, if Wormley can do that, great. They'll be they'll be feeling great about that. But if not, they'll look at the Marvin Leal, see if he can how he grows into this. This is a guy that didn't play much inside at Texas AM. Maybe he makes the adjustment. Maybe that's part of his game. We'll see. If not, I wouldn't be surprised if the Steelers get on the trade market because now with Stephon Tewitt's contract now being out the window with the retirement and him being a post one cut uh, because with the way he was retired, the Steelers got $9 million in additional cap space approximately. They have approximately over $21 million in cap space. I could see this team adding to the roster in a big way with either a defensive lineman or another position. And it may come by way of a trade if they don't see a certain player, um, you know, you'll get released from a team during training camp like they did with Joe Hayden back in 2017. Last year, they made such a trade to get Joe Schobert because they weren't so sure. They did the same thing with Robert Spillane. Spillane had a good year in 2020, uh, in 2020, having being a backup who filled in for Devin Bush sparingly. But when you had to put him on the field a lot and you saw it in practice, they were like, well, he can't be a starter all the time. So let's go get Joe Schobert. He'll fill in for a year and then we'll figure it out. And now they got Miles Jack. So this is the first challenge for the new, the team's new general manager, Omar Khan. Now he'd been with the team for 21 years. 
but this is now his first challenge to say, hey, let's find a way to do this. Will he be aggressive in a trade? Maybe get a player, a Deron Payne type of player who's a defensive lineman on the last year of his rookie deal on a team like Washington that just drafted another defensive lineman? Maybe, but maybe he goes and gets another cornerback, another safety, another, you know, who knows, another offensive lineman. I think that this is a time to see how the Steelers play this out, but a lot of this will get told when the pads go on in training camp. So I don't expect the Steelers to make a move just yet. Like they're not going to go get in Dominican Sue. I don't see them being aggressive that way. I think they see what these guys have. And then Omar Khan pulled the trigger. Right. And I'm, I'm really interested to see how the Steelers end up maneuvering around this because obviously big shoes to fill here with Stefan to it. They have options on their roster, but maybe they say, Hey, let's go out and get somebody just to make sure everything's all right there on the Steelers defense. But Chris, thanks so much for joining me and providing insight onto obviously again, a great player and a great person here. Stefan to it. To what's a player again, really, really good, but hangs up the cleats due to that horrible tragedy. And again, I wish the best to to it and his family. We'll head into our final break here on Locked On NFL. Still a ton to talk about. We'll continue our retirement tour. Talking next with Brian Peacock of Locked On 49ers about the retirement of Frank Gore. So be sure to stay tuned again. Still a ton to talk about. First, though. I do want to tell you about Bet Online and with the finals here, BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your sports betting stats and sports info. You can find all the latest sports developments, news, and odds, including this year's basketball championship matchup. You have the hockey conference finals going on in the NHL. You have Major League Baseball. And, of course, the latest fighting news from MMA to UFC and boxing as well. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting. You have esports and more. So you can head over to their website today. Use mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. We're back here. Our final segment of Locked On NFL. Kevin Ostreicher, your host, still here with you. And again, thank you for making Locked On NFL your first listen of the day. I greatly, greatly appreciate that. But let's now continue talking about retirements. This time, Frank Gore's retirement with Brian Peacock of Locked On 49ers. All right, continuing our retirement talk, we're talking here now with Brian Peacock, the host, or one of the hosts of Locked On 49ers. And no, it's not Brian's retirement we're talking about. It's Frank Gore, the longtime 49ers running back, played 16 years in this league. Brian, I don't know if people thought a day like this would come where Frank Gore retires. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Yeah, I've got a little ways to go for my retirement. Uh, in uh, I think in, in broadcaster's years, I hope I can last as long as Frank Gordian in running back years being in his late thirties, because, you know, it's one thing for a quarterback, like, um, uh, you know, Tom Brady played 45 years old or when Jerry Rice was in his forties playing in the NFL, but for a running back at 38, I mean, it was pretty crazy. And actually he just had a birthday, 39th birthday a little while ago, uh, before his retirement now. So happy retirement to Frank Gore, a pretty remarkable run for him for, for as long as he played at such a high level. Yeah, I know. And for Frank Gore, right on the nose, 16,000 career rushing yards for him. Played 16 years in this league, 10 with the 49ers. And Brian, he meant so much to the 49ers franchise over those 10 seasons, did so many memorable things for them. I mean, what do you remember about him as a player and a person when you were able to cover him when he was in San Francisco? Yeah, the 49ers still haven't had a thousand yard rusher either since his last season uh, there in 2014. So it's been pretty difficult to replace Frank Gore. Uh, and and it's not only just the player on the field and the production you're replacing, but it's what he meant to the franchise, what he meant to the coaching staff, the reliability. There's nobody that's ever said a bad word about Frank Gore. It's pretty remarkable. So many players love him, and, and he's their favorite ever teammate. Uh, Scott McClune, the GM that drafted him, says he's his favorite ever 
player. So uh, that that's that's a pretty cool thing for Frank Gore to have the GM that draft you say that you're his favorite player. Um, and yeah, it just I think the just the 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 standard he set for always being reliable on the field every play. He could he he was a willing blocker. He could catch the football. Uh, he he could get tough yards. He could make big plays. And I think for a guy that was built like he was, and you know maybe not blazing speed, he had so many long runs. It would be like you know there would be just a tiny crease there. He would find it. He would hit something. And all of a sudden, he'd have this big explosive play, which usually you associate with faster players. Uh, so it was a really fun running style to watch because he was such a complete back and, you know, 12 straight seasons of 1200 yards from scrimmage. Uh, he had a thousand yards in uh, almost all of those seasons in a row, as well as a rusher, except for one in that year in, in 2010, um, he only had 853 yards rushing, but he had his best receiving output 452 yards in in that stretch so um he was just a remarkable player and everyone seems to love him and when you consider the length of his career after what he went through in college with his injuries it makes it even more remarkable because he had those two acl injuries and people thought he wasn't even going to have a career at all and some people were surprised he was drafted as high as the first pick in the third round because of all those injuries so um when you add that to it it makes it even more remarkable is that he was able to amass sixteen thousand yards and be the number three rusher all time when he retired yeah, and I think for him, there were so many big plays that he was a part of, so many big games he made a huge impact in. Brian, do you have any of those and any specific, like like a play or a game or two where you remember that vividly that are one of your favorites? You know, I, I just remember, I don't think there's one necessarily game. There, there was a ton of big games with those 49ers teams that he was on, you know, and, and they were real team efforts. Um, but there's no specific plays from him that stand out to me. The thing that stands out to me was when you just, when he was a young player and you saw him run and you saw him break off some big runs. And it was like, well, this guy's amazing. He's just so good. And sometimes with running backs, you can't put your finger on it. And it's just the, the smarts that he played with. And it, it was just like outrunning guys. He's not supposed to outrun and, um, you know, meeting a, a blitzer in the hole and just completely destroying that guy. You know, it was just it was just so fun to watch him play. And it was so fun to to see how um, it was almost Barry Sanders like with the way that there was no nonsense with him. It wasn't all about any of the extra. It was just about doing what he needed to do every single play. Uh, his college and pro teammate Mike Rumpf from uh, Miami and the 49ers, uh, a former first round cornerback said that when he when Frank Gore showed up at the University of Miami, uh, he, he looked like Mike Tyson just because not so much because of the, the way he was built, but he's built similarly to Mike Tyson. But he just had black shoes, no gloves, no wristbands, nothing. It was just like, I am here and none of the other stuff matters. I am here to run through you. Yeah, it, it's incredible. And I think... Brian, when looking at when he came into the league in 2005 versus when he left San Francisco in 2014, now obviously due to his retirement, what did you see from him growth-wise as a player based off of what he came into the league as and then what he left San Francisco as after all those years? 
Yeah, well, he just he he became the bell cow so quickly. His second season was his best season statistically. He had almost seventeen hundred yards that year, and and once he took the job over, it was like, oh yeah, this is just, this guy's just the dude. And and you saw that from his rookie year. Kevin Barlow was the guy, and he had just signed a big contract, and uh, it was pretty apparent quickly that it was going to be Frank Gore's job. And by year two, it was completely his job. And uh, you know, obviously, at the end of his career, he wasn't as explosive as he was, even though his uh, <laughs> we were talking a little about about it off the air his his uh his photographs didn't change much he he didn't look like he aged too much but you could tell on the field he wasn't you know um that same explosive guy but it was just the the smarts that he played with in the in the guile and finding the hole knowing where the hole was making you know a, a tiny crease seem bigger than it was with just uh you know perfect footwork and and being able to get the short yardage and uh just the dependability is just and and there's a reason that that coaches like adam gase wanted to bring him to their teams even that late in his career because he, he was on the 49ers staff as an assistant and and just you know something seeing a player work 10 years prior and knowing what you're going to get and, and that just says so much about frank gore from all the, the the players and the coaches he's played with that they just believe he's like the the best pro and like the perfect kind of teammate you know that, that you can have in in a huddle so uh you know those are the things that really stand out to me with frank gore's career and i know some people you know especially with the late career stuff might not think of him as sort of that hall of fame player like maybe he wasn't the best running back in the league at any time but then when you look back at everything and what he meant um yeah to me it's a you know that's just a it's a hall of fame resume and you know you're the number three rusher all time you're going to get into the hall he's going to be in canton i don't know if it's going to be you know, uh, in five years or 10 years, but he's going to be in camp. Right. And that, that's where I wanted to go next. Brian is Frank Gore a hall of fame. In your opinion, you made, you made that clear just a second ago, yeah. but yeah, you talked about it. Do you feel like this is a first ballot resume for him? Or do you think maybe it would take a couple of years? Where are you on the hall of fame train here for Frank Gore? I, I, I just think that statistically he's going to get in. Like he, he, he will be a hall of famer. Um, uh, I will buy the argument though, that I just said that, you know, some people might think, well, he doesn't, um, he belongs in the hall of very good just because he was never the best player in the league at his position. Like, like say his teammate, Patrick Willis, who didn't play as long and Patrick Willis might have to wait a while, but Patrick Willis was the best linebacker in the league for a time. And maybe Frank Gore, you can't say that about him as a running back, even though he was one of the top guys for a long time, um, in his career, you know, you saw other top running backs go skyrocket to the moon and then come crashing down very quickly with those shorter careers. And he was still plugging along and still playing so well. Um, but I, I think there's no doubt that he will be a Hall of Famer. So uh, to me, it's not much of a conversation to be had if he should be or if he shouldn't, because I think he absolutely will be. Uh, I can understand if he's, you know, if there's a little bit of a backlog, because look, there's some really great players coming up and a ton of these, you know, all-time quarterbacks that are going to be coming up as well. So there's going to be some big classes. So if he has to wait a little bit, I would understand, but he's definitely going to be in the Hall. Yeah, I mean, such such a special player for so many years. And yeah, the, you, you know, you put his rookie year picture next to his age 39 picture. And I mean, he, look, he doesn't look like he aged a day. It's incredible, you know? It's crazy, yeah. And uh, I, I'm a little bit worried about his post-football boxing career. Uh, but uh, that might age him a little quicker. But uh, man, it's pretty amazing that, to see him be able to go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, you know, pushing 40 now in the ring with with much younger guys. and. And do some of the boxing stuff so yeah it's it's pretty awesome uh frank gore's such a great guy everyone loves him fans love him fan favorite teammates love him coaches love him front office people love him uh, he's he's a he's a pretty special dude 
Yeah, great player, great person. He he meant so much to the game, so much to San Francisco. In 16 years in this league as a running back, is very hard to do now, especially, you know, the, the whole saying is once running backs hit 30, you know, it's all right, when's, when's the time coming up? But Frank Gore played, you know, didn't play in 2021, but had those 16 years from 2005 to 2020 and made such a big impact on the field for sure for the San Francisco team. But Brian, thanks so much for hopping on here. I appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Anytime. Gore played for so, so many years in this league. Very productive veteran. Someone who, again, didn't play in 2021, but from 2005 to 2020 was really the ultimate professional both on and off the field. And you just see a guy who made such an impact on this league for sure. But that's all I have you here today on Locked on NFL. Thank you so much for tuning in. When we get back here tomorrow, we'll be diving into more NFL content with your Tuesday hosts. So be sure to stay tuned for that, and we will see you right back here tomorrow.